are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you have a Bible, why don't you get over there? If you don't, we'd love to give you one, or you can follow along on the screens behind. Are y'all going to make me do this alone? Are you going to talk back to me today? Okay, all right, we'll see, we'll see. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read 1 through 13, then we're going to hop down to verse 38. A little bit of reading today, hang with me, it will set up the rest of the day. I'll read, then I'll pray, then we'll get to it. Acts 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, that being the disciples, were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house while they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene and visitors of Rome. Come on, somebody. I got all those right. We ain't messing around. We ain't messing around here today. (laughs) Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And others mocked and said, no, nah, they've just been drinking mad, mad dog. Okay? It's a modern translation. No, they're filled with new wine. So then Peter gives his first sermon, his first public sermon, and the response shows up in Acts 2 and verse 38. They say, what do we do with everything that you've said? And Peter said to them, 2 and verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And let's pray. God, we love you today. We thank you for your word. I thank you for this text. I thank you for what you're going to teach us through it. God, we admit we have some bias, some some perspective on it. I pray that you would sovereignly just give us a clean slate to hear from you as it is in truth. Allow us to hear from your Holy Spirit. Be glorified. And thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been around church for any length of time, you know that Acts chapter 2 is one of the more controversial texts in all of Scripture. There's so many different perspectives on it. People who love Jesus, believe the Bible, and view this text very differently. One side says this is something that happened and should continue to happen. We want 
to have this exact experience over and over and over again, and we call those people Pentecostals because they look back to Pentecost. The other side is a group of people who look at the sweep of Scripture and we say, in the Old Testament is the Father, in the Gospels is Jesus, and in the New Testament is Paul. In the Bible. Remember that the Bible is true. And when we do this, we, uh, we frame up this text and we bring our theology to this text instead of getting our theology from this text, and it creates this controversy. It's also incredibly important because it's the first time the Holy Spirit shows up in the New Testament in this context. It's the birth of the church, and we ought to be informed by it. So this context is happening in about a two-month period. Jesus goes to the cross. He resurrects. He gives the Great Commission. He ascends back to the Father. The Holy Spirit given, is given, and the church is born in a 50-day period, almost two months. And so I want to unpack just around this confusion. I'm not going to be able to answer every question. I'm going to do my best to answer as many questions as I can. But I want to, I want to do these three things. I want to answer what is Pentecost, why this day, why, why the Holy Spirit come on this day. I want to answer who is the Holy Spirit. And then I want to answer the question, what is a Spirit-filled church? What is a Spirit-filled church? So what is Pentecost? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is a Spirit-filled church? Are you with me? You guys said you weren't going to make me do this alone. I haven't heard a word. All right. So Acts chapter 2 begins with a Jewish reference. Dr. Luke, the author of Acts, says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. You have to understand that the disciples, after Jesus rises again, they go home to Galilee. They have some time with Jesus. They come back near Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives. Jesus ascends. He tells them before he ascends, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit shows up. They are also in Jerusalem because they are Jewish men and because they are a part of this, this pilgrimage back to Jerusalem around this holiday that's called Pentecost. Now, remember this phrase, all of the pictures and promises of the Old Testament come to pass through Jesus in the New Testament, okay? All of the pictures and promises in the Old Testament come to pass through Jesus in the New Testament. So whenever you go back and you read through the Old Testament, you will discover that Pentecost is the second major festival on the Jewish calendar. It's one of three, and each of those three require all Jewish men, regardless of where they're coming from, to come back to Jerusalem to observe these feasts and these festivals three times a year. Pentecost is number two of three. Now, they wouldn't have called it Pentecost. That's the Greek name for it. They would have called it the Feast of Harvest, or the Feast of Weeks. Five times it's mentioned in five different books. Exodus 23, Exodus 24, Leviticus 16, Numbers 28, and Deuteronomy 16 all talk about the Feast of Weeks. Now, here's how you have to understand this. In Palestine, there's two harvest times. One is in the fall. The one we're talking about now is occurring in the spring. The spring harvest had a festival to begin it and to end it. Okay, so two harvests, one in the fall, one in the spring. The spring harvest time has a festival to begin it and to end it. The first sheaf, the first fruits, if you're a student of the Bible, that word pops out to you, of the harvest of barley was presented by the Jewish people to Yahweh, and it was referred to as Passover. The beginning of this season is the Passover festival. The end, the first fruits, of the wheat harvest was offered 50 days later, 
and it was known as Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50. So this harvest time, Passover begins it, and Pentecost ends it. Are you with me? Shake your head if, if, you're, if you're tracking with me, okay? Now this is interesting because Paul, in two different places, unpacks this Old Testament picture and gives it New Testament color. Remember, Paul was a Jewish Pharisee, very familiar with the Old Testament, very familiar with feasts and festivals and rules and regulations. And here's what he says, that as the Israelites celebrate Passover, the first fruits of barley, Jesus is at that very time laying down his life for the sins of the world. Now let's take a step back here. Remember the Passover really originated in the book of Exodus, right? When God's people are in slavery to Egypt, God comes through Moses and he says, you're going to let my people go if you don't. Bad things are going to happen. Ten plagues. The tenth plague is God is going to send the angel of death and anybody who does not have their house covered with the blood of a spotless lamb will not be passed over. Passover is being spared from death. How are you spared from death? The blood of a spotless lamb has to be applied to your life. And Paul says, during Passover, y'all are celebrating the first fruits of barley, but listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So here's, here's what Passover was. It was signifying that Jesus is the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist said that. And Paul says, not only does he take away the sin of the world, but he's the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first one to live in the reality of sin and death having been defeated. He says, everybody's going to die in their order. Jesus is the first of many who are going to not see death. They're going to experience eternal life. Jesus, through Passover, is the first fruits of resurrection. If you are in Jesus, you will have eternal life because Jesus went first. First fruits. Pentecost, the Israelites celebrate Pentecost and they offer to God the first fruits of the wheat harvest, but at this new Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, God offers to his church the first fruits of his spirit. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions of the Son, the redemption of our bodies. So for several thousand years, the Jews have celebrated God's provision of grains, right? For several thousand years, three times a year, all the guys get together and we celebrate the fact that God has provided for us. And God says, all the stuff that I'm giving you, I want you to give me what? The first. The first. And God still does this, right? This is what a tithe is. A tithe is, is if I make 10 bucks, I give God the first dollar, right? Now, the reality of it is, is that I would make no bucks if God saw fit to not provide for me. So it's all his. But in worship, I come and I say, God, I'm going to give you the first dollar and the acknowledgement that you've given me all these dollars. So here's how this works. I tithe of my time. I worship on the first day, Sunday in our case. I tithe of my money. I give God the first dollar. I don't give God the leftovers. It's not like, oh, I got 68 cents left over. Here you go, God. No, I give you 
I give you the first. And God says in the Old Testament, uh, of all the things I provide for you, I want you to in worship, acknowledge my dependence, and give me the, the first fruits. And so God says, I'm going to give you eternal life, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go first. The spotless lamb of God is going to allow you to pass over death, resurrection. He's the first fruit. Then you're going to get the first fruit of my Holy Spirit. And ultimately, resurrection and eternal life is going to come through these two. And you're going to experience what the Holy Spirit and the Son of God did first. That's why it's this day. That's that's why it's this day. And this is why you should believe your Bibles, by the way. Because God could have picked any day. God, but God didn't pick a random day. Jesus went to the cross on Passover. Why? So you'd go, what's Passover? Oh, wow. Jesus, or God, saw fit to send his Holy Spirit on Pentecost so that you would say, what's Pentecost? And go, oh, oh my goodness, God is, is putting color in the outlines and pictures and promises of the Old Testament. He's doing it for us now. That's, that's why Pentecost. That's what Pentecost is. Are you with me? Okay, so secondly, then, who's the Holy Spirit? And this is this is a bit of a shame, to be honest with you, that I, that I have to answer this question. It's, it's a bit of an indictment that there's so much confusion in the church around who the Holy Spirit is and what he does and what he doesn't do. So let's, just, let's start this way. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, which makes him what? God. Yeah, which makes him God. To be believed as God, to be worshipped as God, to be obeyed as God, to be trusted as God, he is God. He's not third string God. He's not, you know, division three and God the Father's division one. God, he is, he is God. And he's sent by Jesus according to the will of the Father. At this church, we believe in something that Christians have been believing for hundreds of years. It's called the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons who are one God. You say, I don't understand what that means. Kind of like time, one time, but past, present, and future. Kind of like water, but two hydrogens and an oxygen. Kind of like you, body, soul, and spirit. I don't know how to explain it any differently than that. Okay? There are pictures of the Trinity all over the place. You see one when you look in the mirror. And so the third person of the Trinity is God, the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus explains the sending of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, he says, I'm going to send you another helper. I'm going to send you another helper. Now, let me, let me unpack this for you. When Jesus came to this earth, Jesus came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Right? Yeah. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. Why? Because you can't, I can't save ourselves. I'm a son of Adam, and so are you. I was born into this world as a sinner, and then because my nature is sinful, I chose sin. You're a sinner by commission and omission, by uh, involuntary means and by your own volition. We are fundamentally, irrevocably broken. You cannot save yourself. So Jesus comes to this earth and helps, helps us and does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I know this is an anti-American sentiment. You can do anything you want, not this. You can't do this. You need a savior. His name is Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to send another helper. And here's how you should see that. I'm going to send you somebody else who is going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. In other words, there are certain things that only Jesus can do for you. If you don't get to Jesus, you don't get him. And there are certain things 
only the Holy Spirit does. If you don't have a relationship to the Holy Spirit, you don't have them. Jesus said, I'm going to send you another helper. And just like I did stuff for you you can't do, he's going to do stuff for you you can't do. Because he's me, and I'm him, and we want to help you. <laughs> he compares his dwelling in us to the way that he dwelt with the disciples. Now, now how, do we, how do we view the way that Jesus uh, incarnated himself? He took on flesh, he moved into our neighborhood, he faced everything in the human experience, was tempted at all points, is what the scripture says. He did life with, he lived with, he had all the experiences of humanity. And he says in the exact same way, the Holy Spirit's going to be like that. He's going to live like that with you. He's going to go through all the things with you. God doing things for you you can't do for yourself with you in the same way that I was with you. And he says he's going to teach you some things, meaning there are some things you won't know if the Holy Spirit doesn't tell you. Some things Jesus didn't talk about. And he's going to remind you of the things that Jesus already said. John 14, 26. So when we think about this, we, we have to acknowledge that God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is not a distant, impersonal, unrelatable it. I'm not saying he doesn't sometimes feel that way. I'm saying that's not how he introduces himself. I'm saying that the author of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, you love the Bible, you should love the Holy Spirit, doesn't introduce himself as an impersonal, unrelatable it. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force. He's not a Jedi. Okay? Which means he can be known. Which means he can be enjoyed. That's our first value here. This just wants you to know and enjoy God. The Holy Spirit is God. So here's the question. Do you know him? Do you know him? I know you got him if you're a follower of Jesus, but do you know him? You know... You know that you can, you can have somebody but not know them. I've seen some of y'all's marriage. Oh, that was rude, wasn't it? Yeah. But you get the point. You know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all, you have the Holy Spirit, but you don't know him, and you certainly don't enjoy him, which means that there are things that you don't know, things that you don't have, things that you won't experience, because you put the Holy Spirit on a shelf because you're a little weirded out by what, how other people talk about him. The Holy Spirit is a person. He can be known. He can be enjoyed. And we are commanded to worship Him. We worship the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible gives us a lot of activities around the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you some of the references. John 14 says that He is a He. He is not a it, and He is not a she, no matter what Oprah says. I know y'all going to Oprah for some of your theology and doctrine. I'm trying to help you today. No, no, He is a He. He is a he. He's a good he, all right? Acts 8 and Acts 13, he speaks. Are you listening? Yeah. Acts 15, he makes decisions. Ephesians 4, he can be grieved. Acts 5, he can be lied to. Hebrews 10, he can be outraged. Acts 16, he can forbid and prevent human plans. 1 Corinthians 2, he can understand and comprehend. 1 Corinthians 12, he's generous, he gives. Romans 8, he helps and intercedes. Romans 8, he bears witness that we are in Christ and he bears witness of who Jesus is. John 16, he gives glory. Romans 15, he loves. He loves. So watch on Pentecost, on this day in Acts chapter 2, let's go back to our text, a new family gets created. A new family. What's it called? It's called the church. 
This is why when you go into some of these suit-wearing, generally more mature saints kind of church, they say, good morning, brother. Good morning, sister. You're like, I don't, I don't know you. No, they're, they're trying to say something theological to you, right? We are sons and daughters of God, Romans chapter 8. And on this day, the birth of the church happens. So listen, this is the birth of the church, not Acts 13 with Paul, because Paul didn't initiate the church, the Holy Spirit did. Okay, the, the first church is in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, started by the Holy Spirit, sent by God the Son according to the will of the Father. Acts chapter 2. It happened here. And a family gets created. And the way that the Bible talks about a spiritual family is a, is a little crazy because it literally talks about your spiritual family being superior in importance to your physical family. Like this is the true family. And this is a family reunion. That's what church is. You aren't, you aren't coming to church. This is just an address. Okay? We, we aren't having church. This is the church. Okay? And can I just say this? This isn't a sanctuary. God, ain't, God, God wasn't in here during the week. I spend more time in this room than anyone in this building. Okay? I come in here, and I'm just going to tell you, without you in it, it's a little creepy. I walk around, I pray through stuff, I'm a little freaked out, I'm going to turn the corner and see a demon. That's just, it's just a little, it's a thing. It's an amazing thing when the church comes to this auditorium. God ain't in here until the church shows up, and then he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. This room feels different. This room becomes a sanctuary whenever the family comes in, and then we reunion together, and sometimes it's as awkward as your annual family reunion, okay? But we do it every week, and then the family spreads out to invite the orphans outside of the church to our Father. You, you do understand the reason that our culture is acting so crazy and so divided is that it, it's a spirit of, of orphan. They don't have a good dad. And part of our job, friends, is to is to gather together to make much of Jesus, to be filled up with God's Spirit, and then to go out as sons and daughters and invite orphans to the Father. That's what it is. A growing church is supposed to be a growing family. But without Pentecost, without the Holy Spirit, they and we are orphans. We'd like to talk about this. Run to the Father. Right? We sing it. Oh, this is so cool. Listen, you ain't got a father to run to without the Holy Spirit. You might know about him, but he isn't your father without the Holy Spirit. A family gets created. Secondly, on Pentecost, the disciples became the new temple. The new temple, the dwelling place of God. It's always interesting to me, and this isn't a criticism, it's just an observation. How many evangelicals want to go to Israel? I, you know, cool, you know, whatever. I want to go see where Jesus lived and was crucified and resurrected and see about relevant sites. I want to see the temple, you know, I want to pray on the wailing wall, and I just want to say to you, you can take one of those off your list, because you're not going to see the temple, you can look in the mirror to see the temple. You're the temple. In fact, uh, in fact, uh, you're just going to look at a building, and you can wail at it, pray at it, whatever, God ain't in there. God was on the plane with you. God was walking around with you. God was seeing the sights with you, because you're, you're the temple. You are, you are more the temple than the physical temple ever was. You do understand this, right? That, that even in the Old 
temple. You had to go into a room that God was, but God entirely indwells you. That's a picture of the reality that is the Holy Spirit in you. 1 Corinthians 3, do you not know? Don't you know? Come on, somebody. Again, modern translation. Hang in there, all right? That you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, a family gets started, a new temple gets initiated, and before Pentecost, the disciples, hear me, did not have everything that they needed when Jesus ascended. They did not have everything that they needed before Jesus ascended. I remember the first time that I was sent out of a church. God saved me when I was 16 years old, uh, began to feel like God had a call in my life to be in vocational ministry, to be a pastor. And, and I was sent out uh, when I was 21 years old to um, Kokomo, Indiana. I met my wife there and left as quickly as possible, all right? <laughs> I'll save you a trip. I took the last good thing. It ain't worth it, all right? <laughs> And I remember uh, the day that I was sent out um, of this church. I, I got saved in this church. God saved me in this church. I was taught the Bible in this church. The lead pastor is now Jesus. Very, very, very good man who loved God, loved the Bible. And they laid hands on me, similar to what you saw us do with that couple that we sent out a couple weeks ago. And, and I remember as we walked off the stage, he said, this is my mandate to you. I was like, okay. He said, I want you to preach the Bible. And you know... Every time I've told this story, I get this hum of like, wow. Can I tell you, he didn't give me the whole story? He didn't. And I'm not criticizing him. Um, but what he should have said is, depend on the Holy Spirit and preach the Bible. You see, the reality of it is, guys, um, this thing that I'm doing right now, uh, you know, I, I want to be prepared, right? I want to be educated. I want to have solid cross-references. I want the outline to be nice. I, I want the time to be right. I want the lighting behind and the temperature just right and the worship to be great, prayer to be powerful. But none of it matters if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up. None of it. And this is the thing that so many of us are... are Functional theology is God the Father in the Old Testament, Jesus in the Gospels, and Paul in the New Testament. We don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and we wonder why things are so hard. You wonder why things are so hard. I'm going to tell you why. Because you don't have any power in and of yourself. All of the power is the Holy Spirit's. All of the power is God's. And you either avail yourself to, you either beg for and are dependent on that, or you trust you and you will never have enough power to change the eternal destiny of your friends, family, and neighbors. You can't save anybody. Doesn't matter how slick you are, doesn't matter how nice the graphic is, doesn't matter how successful you are, you cannot resurrect somebody without resurrection power. You can't. Listen to John 16 and verse 17. Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And can you see him? What? <laughs> what? We don't want you to go away, man. We like this like 
hanging out with God thing. We feel covered. We feel like we have access to power. We feel like we can win when you're here. What do you mean it, it's, it's good for you to go away? He says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. In other words, put this in context. Jesus is saying, what I give you isn't enough for what I call you to. You need the Holy Spirit. It's for your good that I go so he can come. And if I stayed and he didn't come, you wouldn't have what you needed to be and do what I call you to be and do. You need the Holy Spirit. And you, you, can, you can see the confusion on the disciples' face in the same way that you can see the confusion in the church today. We're like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And it's good. It's good. God, 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Paul, Paul, Paul. Why aren't we fruitful? Because you need the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. If you don't have access to, if you don't have relationship with, or if you aren't growing in knowledge and enjoyment of, listen, you aren't going to have the power to be and do what God has called you to be and do. And I'm talking about your marriage. I'm talking about your parenting. I'm talking about your perspective. I'm talking about your ministry. I'm talking about your finance. All of the power is in your relationship to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what is Pentecost? Who is the Holy Spirit? And what is a Spirit-filled church? In the way, for me, I'm going to the first Spirit-filled church. Lots of different definitions right now, right? Like, we put it on our website. Like, we're a Spirit-filled church. Oh, great. What's that mean? I don't know. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and we've kind of bequeathed Spirit-filled to, <clears throat> to a denomination. And let me just say this. Spirit-filled is not a denomination. Hello? Spirit-filled is not a denomination. There's not certain Christians that are spirit-filled and other Christians aren't spirit-filled because if you are a Christian without the Spirit, you ain't a Christian. You can go to church. You can carry a big old leather-bound Bible under it. You can have lots of doctrine and theology, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit, I don't know what to call you, but it's not a Christian. Okay? So what is, how, does, how does the Holy Spirit introduce the first Spirit-filled church? Are you with me? to us, what's true about it? Okay, three things. Number one, the first spirit-filled church was about the nations. It was about the nations. So tongues, everyone always asks about tongues. Tongues are not the star of the show in Acts chapter 2, even though they draw the most attention. Tongues are not the main character. They are at best just a part of the set. They're at best a secondary character. Tongues are pragmatic in Acts chapter 2. They are about getting the gospel to other nations through the barrier of language. That's what tongues are in Acts chapter 2. Fifteen different countries. All those names that I read to you that I asked you to clap when I said correctly, those were all people groups with different nationalities, with different languages. The Holy Spirit comes, this commotion, this wind, this fire, these tongues, and people come, and what do they hear? They hear the gospel in a language that they understand. Tongues are and continue to be about passing through barriers. That's what they are. That, that's what they are. Tongues are about passing through the flesh, passing through unbelief, passing through barriers that created, and God just miraculously circumvents those things. The reason for tongues here is about God's heart for the nations. So, so listen, a church that's committed to getting the gospel to the nations will likely 
experience miraculous Holy Spirit moments. When, when a church is committed to missions, they are prone to experience the miraculous. Things that exceed our ability and our imagination. So let me just tell you a quick story. Uh, recently, and, and Jenny was on this trip uh, with me, we went to the Middle East. We intended to give away uh, hearing aids in three refugee camps. We had a good number, had some problems in customs in the country as we were getting there, and they took uh, 75% of our hearing aids. And we're like, what, man, what are we, we going to do? We're going to be three days in these refugee camps. We had this amount of hearing aids to give away because we want to help people with tangible needs so they can hear about their spiritual needs. And now we've got 25%, 100 hearing aids. What are we going to do, God? So the first day, the team goes out and they come back. And how'd it go? Really good. How many hearing aids did you give away? 65. Carry the one. We have 35 hearing aids for two days? Yeah. Actually, no. We have 70 hearing aids. Right? You remember this? And I said, what? <laughs> what, what do you mean we have, we have 70 hearing aids? You just told me we gave away 65. 100 minus 65 equals 35. You're telling me it equals 7. And the guy said to me, I, I don't know. It's just like we'd give one away and we would come back and there'd just be, there'd just be some there. And I said, are you trying to tell me we're having like a feeding of the 5,000 kind of thing? <laughs> and he goes, yeah. And the next day the same, and the next day literally down to the very last person in line. Okay, so watch. Here's, here's what we can do. Wow, that's amazing. Let's keep pursuing the miraculous. No, 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 no. Listen. Pursue the mission, and the miraculous will come. Okay? But... Sometimes churches who aren't about the nations, they want the miraculous, but they aren't on mission, and then they just get weird. No, no, hear me. I'm not trying to be critical. The miraculous is for the mission. God says, I'll do things that will blow your mind if you're about what I'm about, but if you're not going to be what I'm about, you're just going to be pursuing something that's going to be for the people who are already in the room, and it's going to get weird. The first spirit-filled church wasn't in pursuit of the miraculous. They were in pursuit of being used by God. God's heart is for the nations. And God says, here, I'm going to give you this tongues thing. For a lot of time, Christians are going to freak out about this. It's really not a big deal. Okay? I'm going to give you this tongue thing because I really want to save them. That's what tongues is. You make it something other than that. And I realize there's different perspectives. And I realize private prayer lines. We're not going to get into all of those kind of things. But in this text, first spirit-filled church, tongues was for mission. Say amen. amen. Secondly, the first spirit-filled church was bold about Jesus. So Peter is going to give his first public sermon, right? <laughs> and I love Peter because he always says crazy stuff. So I'm, I'm here for it, right? I got the popcorn. Like, what's he going to say? Okay. Probably like you guys feel every Sunday, but whatever. All right. <laughs> and, uh, and remember, it's Pentecost. So his audience is primarily devout Jewish men. These are religious cats. And so here's, here's Peter's big message. He talks a little bit about prophecy from Joel. He talks about some stuff David has said. He talks about David's covenant and kingly line, and the Messiah is going to come through that. And then he says, um, y'all are murderers. Okay. Uh, this house has a long heritage of good preaching. Okay? It's, it's an incredible blessing. I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of it in any way, shape, or form. Um, 
If I were going to sit down with somebody and, uh, and coach them on their first sermon, uh, I would not think to say, but if I did think, I would say, probably you don't want your message to be some abstract prophecy, some old lineage stuff, and then accusing everybody in the room of felonies. <laughs> like, not endearing, not helpful. They're probably going to get mad. They're not going to listen to you. But that, that's Peter's outline. Are you with me? And here's, the, here's people's response. What do we need to do? And Peter says, you need to repent, get baptized, and become a part of the church. And 3,000 people step across the line of faith. Okay, now watch. Watch, watch, watch. Um, again and again and again, in the early church, you see this breathtaking boldness. Simple, direct, indicting to the person that is hearing it. And we often attribute this to the disciples. Wow, Peter was so bold. James was so bold. John was so bold. Like, Thomas was doubting, and then he was so bold. This is crazy. But I think it would be more accurate to say, not that they were bold, but they were being emboldened. By who? By the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. Remember Pete? Remember literally two months ago when he was lying to a little girl about even knowing Jesus, and now he's calling people murderers? What, what happened in between? Repentance and the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what happened. Here's a good way for you to know whether or not you have God living inside of you. Are you still with me? Yes. Is if you have the compulsion from time to time to do things, say things, and be things that you would otherwise never want. If there aren't times that you say, I really feel like I should say this. I can't believe, I can't believe I want to say this. I, I really... I, I really don't want to do this, but I feel like I should do this. I don't know. I really should give this or say this or go here. I really, I really should be this, right? <laughs> I don't, I don't even, I'm not even sure. Like Nobody thinks being humble is a good thing, but I desperately want to be humble. I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on. And let me just say to you, if you never have the desire to be something, say something, or do something that you otherwise wouldn't want to be, say, or do, it might be that it's because you're the only voice in your head. I, I realize how, how harsh that might be, but, but doesn't, doesn't the boldness here and the effectiveness lead you right up to the door? Like, are there any times where God tells you to do something that you otherwise would not have in your head? And some of us were walking around, and I'm a Christian, and I'm a believer in Jesus, and God never tells you to do anything that you wouldn't otherwise want to do. Why is that? Pastor stands up and talks about giving, and you're offended. Why? It's not your money. Talks about service, talks about humility, talks about selflessness, talks about all these things, and we're mad. Why? Is there not a voice in your heart compelling you to be, do, and say things that you otherwise would not come to? And it's a question that you need to consider. Am I ever moved, compelled, called, commanded to do things that are not from me? Number three, first, they were about the nations. Next, they were bold about Jesus. Third, they had love for one another. Listen to Galatians chapter 5. It talks about two different ways, two different sources of life. Galatians 5 and verse 19. Now the works of the flesh, 
are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Hello. I warn you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things should not inherit the kingdom of God. That's one way of doing life, the fleshly way. And, and that list are all the things that you see in our culture. Yeah? Okay. Here's the other way. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Why is it that the early church was known for benevolence? Why is it they were known for generosity, for shared resources, for blessing orphans and widows? Why were they known for adoption? They weren't known for their preaching in their great auditorium. Why? Because of who was inside of them. Because of who was emboldening them, whose presence they were in, whose power they were receiving. And as they were filled up by the Holy Spirit and dependent on Him, it resulted in the service and blessing of others. I am convinced that when Jesus says, you will know the church by their love for one another, it is not because He was confident in us. I believe it's because he was confident in the Holy Spirit. And he knew that if the Holy Spirit was present, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace. This again leads us right up to a scary doorknob, doesn't it? Why is it that the testimony of the church, especially in the West, is that we're divided and divisive, judgmental, self-righteous, critical, and harsh? Why is it that the experience that God says will be had in a spirit-filled church is rarely the experience of guests who attend a church? And I would imagine that it says less about our systems, less about our curriculum, less about our buildings, less about our theology, and more about who's empowering us. And the reality of it is, you look at this church, and this was their program, right? We love lost people. We're bold about Jesus. We, lo we love each other. And the church grew. How often? Every day. Day by day. Went from 120 to 3,000 off a bad sermon. <laughs> and then day by day, and over the next three centuries, went from 3,000 to 300 million. To the point that pagan Rome made Christianity their state religion. And this is what drives me crazy, and I'm over time, but I don't care, alright? This is what drives me crazy about about, about me, is that I go to a church and I say, that's yeah, a nice building. I go to church and say, what, what programs you got? What curriculum you got? What path you got? What, how long is the sermon going to be? Right? How's the worship? How's the stuff that I get from? And churches run to keep up with the competition down the street because we want to be about what God's doing. The early church grew at a prolific rate and had no system. Had no building, had no money, had no influence, just loved lost people, were bold about Jesus, and took care of the people that were in the room. And they grew every single day. And we have money and air conditioning and LED walls and program after program after program after program. What's happening? What's happening? So here's the question, and then we're done. How do I, how do you, how do we get the Holy Spirit? How do we get him? Here's how. Ask for him. That's how. 
a famous text um, in Luke talking about God as a good father. He says, y'all, y'all aren't great fathers, and you would never, when your son asks for a fish, you wouldn't give him a serpent. When he asks for an egg, you wouldn't give him a scorpion. You know this, right? And if I were just kind of quoting from memory, I would, I would say, then how am I not going to give good gifts to those? Do you know that's actually not what it says? In Luke chapter 11, let me read it to you. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, part of the reason, guys, that you're sitting in here, and if you're asking this question... You're saying, how do I get the Holy Spirit? I just want you to know you're already having an interaction with the Holy Spirit. Because you don't ask spiritual questions unless God is bringing life into your life. Into your, light into your life and life into your life. Let me do just say, if you want the Holy Spirit, how's, here's how you get Him. You ask for Him, and you give your life to Jesus. And the amazing thing about the Gospel is that when I give my life to Jesus, I both get the Holy Spirit and the Father. It's a three-for-one deal. I give my entire self to God, and I get all of God to myself. But you got to ask. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to become one today. On your Connect card in front of you, you can fill that out. You can bring it down. You can take it to the next steps test. This is an important moment for you. Here's how I want to end. Next year, we're going to turn 80. 80 years old. A lot of people are going to be in heaven because of this church. It's true. A lot of churches have gotten planted. God's done a lot of good things. We say things like, we're just getting started. We say things like, we're going to take the baton and hand it not to this generation, but by we, I mean me. I say those things, right? Can I tell you, not if we don't depend on the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying the church will go away. I'm just saying we won't be fruitful. I'm just saying lives won't be changed. I'm just saying resurrection, renewal, redemption won't occur. We'll come in here and we'll play church and we'll go out and God can observe, but God will never be empowering, motivating, compelling, resurrecting, doing things for us and for our city that only he can do. You say, but if we ask for the Holy Spirit, will that make us uh, stop? This isn't about that. This is about whose church this is, whose future this is, whose will this is, whose plans this is. And I'm asking you, if you're a part of Graceway, to begin to ask, Holy Spirit, please make yourself known in this place. Holy Spirit, we're dependent on you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, we'll obey you. Holy Spirit, go before us. Holy Spirit, move in and among and through and around be above and behind and beneath and in front of, right and left. God, we need you in every possible way. We'll prepare to the best of our ability knowing that it is not enough if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up. Our future is not tied to how good our building is, to how rich our history is, to the version of the Bible we use, to the curriculum that we use, to the programs that we offer. Our future is tied to the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's it. And that's it. So I'm asking you today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, will you become one? And I'm asking you today, if you are a follower of Jesus, 
Do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you love the Holy Spirit? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Are you obeying the Holy Spirit? Are you trusting the Holy Spirit? And if you aren't, I'm asking you to ask. Ask to be filled. Ask to be led. And see what God does with your life. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your Holy Spirit who invited me into relationship with Jesus as a 16-year-old, got me to Jesus, and then seals me in his grace. I thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit who changes, who speaks, who encourages, who convicts, who challenges. I thank you, God, that we are sealed, we are secure, we will one day be delivered to eternity because of the work of the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for the Bible written by the Holy Spirit. I thank you for what it says. I thank you that you preserved it in a language that I can understand. I thank you for how it's changed my life. I thank you for the Holy Spirit providing it. God, I thank you for the church, for the family that is created according to the will of the Father based on the work of the Son accomplished through the Holy Spirit. I thank you for brothers and sisters in this room. God, I thank you for the gospel as it's delivered once to me and ultimately to all nations. I thank you that one day your work will come to culmination and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. God, I thank you that you don't leave us alone, that you speak and that you're present and that you love us. God, we want to know you. And so I pray for those of us who don't know you, that you would make yourself known. I pray for those of us, God, who know about you, have been around you, but don't love you, don't obey you, don't hear from you, that you would encourage us to ask for more of you, to fill us up, to empower us to the calling that you placed on our life and on this church. We're nothing without you, God. We love you today. I thank you for what you're doing, for what you have done, for what you will do. It's all for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, growth track through that wall. If you came to give at any door, go Chiefs. I love you. See you next Sunday.